John chapter 8. Begin reading in verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to, th to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Elephant in the room. I do not know what Jesus wrote in the sand. We will not know that till we get to heaven. I'm sure there will be a sign on the door so that we know, so that we, he doesn't answer the same question millions of times as, as we enter into his kingdom. Brother Brock at Texas Baptist Institute said it was one of two things. He either wrote down the sins that all those men were guilty of, or he wrote down the names of the men with whom she committed the sin with. But even that's just a theory. For all we know, he could have just been writing scripture. The Apostle John wrote this gospel to demonstrate to us who Jesus really is. John chapter 20, verse 31, he said, But these, talking about the signs of Christ, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What John wrote, he wrote to demonstrate to us who Jesus really is. That he is the only begotten Son of God, God in the flesh, the Christ the promised Messiah. He begins by opening this gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word. That's a peculiar way to open anything. In the beginning there was the word. What are we talking about word? The word, logos, what is he talking about? There was a religious movement in John's day called logos, which from what I've read was very similar to the force in Star Wars. And John sat down and opened up because I want to tell y'all who God is, who the force is, who Logos is. I want to tell you who the real deal is. And the gospel according to John is not meant to be a biography of Jesus Christ. The gospel according to John is for us to get a sense of who Jesus really is. He is God in flesh. He demonstrates the deity of Christ. He demonstrates the sonship of Christ. He demonstrates the Messiahship of Christ. And the whole idea of doing this is to foster our faith in him. In this endeavor, John tells us about the woman taken in adultery. This is a significant story. This is a turning point. This is a watershed moment. 
If it were not, John would not have included it in his gospel. You don't see John, you only, I only think there's one instance of John telling us what they had for breakfast that morning. And that's in John chapter 21, when Jesus cooked the fish. So there's importance to this story. Let's look at this story. John notes, as do the Pharisees, that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. She was taken in the act. What's not being debated here is her guilt or innocence. That question has been settled. She was taken in the act. She was caught red-handed. For all intents and practical purposes here, she is guilty. This is cut and dry. But the setup, the Pharisees bringing her into the temple to Jesus, has an ulterior motive. The Pharisees ask Jesus what to do. The law says that she should be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? And the Bible tells us, John tells us, that they are not asking a question for for direction from the Messiah. They already have a protocol to follow here. They're trying to find an occasion in which to accuse him. They're trying to find a charge to level against him. This is a political play. It is a situation instigated by the Pharisees to discredit Jesus and to return the power and the influence to them. They are trying to undermine the only begotten Son of God. This woman is nothing more than cannon fodder for their political cause. John includes this moment in the gospel because the magnificence of the deity of Jesus Christ shines through. Jesus, in this passage, simultaneously shows compassion to the woman, compassion to the Pharisees, teaches the woman, teaches the Pharisees, corrects sin, and gives forgiveness. Regarding everybody involved, all points of interest, all stakeholders in this situation, Jesus hits all points perfectly. It shows his divinity. Let's learn from Jesus today. Let's learn the lesson that was taught to the Pharisees this morning. Let's learn the lesson taught to the woman this morning. And let's take from this an exhortation to us all. First, let's look at the lesson taught to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were real big on self-righteousness. They were real big on self-promotion. There is a pecking order in Pharisee world. In the Sanhedrin, there is a rank. And they strive to climb that ladder. They want to move up to the next level. They want to get in the Sanhedrin, and once in the Sanhedrin, they want to be one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin. It's like Congress. It's not enough just to get elected to Congress. You want to get a committee chairmanship. You want to get named to an office. You want to be the majority whip, the, the caucus leader, the, the, the majority leader, the minority leader, the speaker of the house. Okay, They're all on a political quest here to gain power. To gain power. And climbing that ladder involved politics. It involved demonstrating piety. Look at how good I am. I don't even walk more than 50 feet on the Sabbath because I am so committed to taking the day of rest. I don't lift anything heavier than an olive on the Sabbath. Um, <laughs> that's like the song the kids listen to. You think you're pure and righteous, think you're pure in heart. Well, I know I'm a million times as humble as thou art, okay? These guys were humble and they were proud of their humility. Um, 
demonstrating that piety, building a following to themselves, building their own little kingdoms. And sometimes the guy ahead of you in line, you got to take him out. So you got to point out his sin and his error. Each wanted to be the smartest in the room. Each wanted to be the mighty culture warrior. And the result of this was the tragedy of an entire group of individuals who were able to quote scripture without knowing the God of the scriptures. And this tragedy was exacerbated by, self de by self-deceit because they had deceived themselves into thinking they were pure and righteous. They had read their own press. And here they are. We are the righteous ones. We are the right ones. We are the Pharisees. There's nothing wrong with us. We have held down the fort here for generations. Who does this Jesus think he is to challenge our conventions and our practices? I'll tell you what, this Jesus has been telling people about forgiveness. He's been forgiving people of their sins. He, he proclaimed to the man who was lowered down in the roof, he said, son of be of good cheer, your sins have been forgiven. Who does he think he is to say such a thing? I'll tell you what, you know that woman over on 5th Street? Let's bring her in here. Let's see how he handles this situation. And they're asking him, this woman was taken in the very act of adultery. Now, the law of Moses says she should be stoned. Jesus, you like this forgiveness stuff. What do you say? And they're looking to trap him. They are trying to figure out if they can accuse him of violating or opposing the law of Moses, or if they can alienate him from his followers by having him consent to her stoning. Also, if he consents to her stoning, he's actually gone outside the law because there's a legal, there's a legal process to follow here. Before a stoning could take place, there had to be a trial. This trial had to have at least two witnesses with corroborating stories. And here's the kicker. The witnesses have to be the ones to cast the first stone. In his response, Jesus said, Let he who, is with, who among you is without sin first throw a stone at her. Jesus, first of all, is asking for the two witnesses. Who witnessed this woman's act of adultery? Now think about that for a second. How do you become the primary witness in a situation like that? He also puts a qualification on this witness. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. In order to be this witness, you have to be without sin. You cannot be a collaborator with this woman in her sin. You cannot have sin. The Pharisees were then confronted with the sin in their own lives. They were all sinners. And therefore, they were in no position to condemn others. They're putting a vicar they're putting a pretty they're putting a weird situation here. Because they can point out her sin, but then they have to be able to deny that they themselves have any. And to be the primary witness in this case, you'd have to be a collaborator in this sin with this woman. So you're not you're not eligible to throw a stone either. To bring a charge 
against someone before God, if you're going to charge someone before God with a sin, one of the lessons we learn from this is you have to be sinless. Otherwise, you are just as guilty. And you too stand condemned. The only one qualified to bring charges against us is Christ. Only he is sinless. Yet, he took our condemnation upon himself. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The only person qualified to bring charges before God against another is the one who is sinless. And the only one who is sinless is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The only one who is qualified to bring charges against us before God went to the cross to take the punishment for our sins upon himself so that we could be freed, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be cleansed, so that we could stand before God in the judgment with confidence, knowing that we'll be received in his kingdom. There is no condemnation before you. There is no condemnation against you. Because the one who can accuse you is the one who took your sins from you. The one who paid the price. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that he could condemn you to hell. He went to the cross so that he could redeem you from hell. That's who Jesus is. That's what we learn about him. That's what we're reminded. No one can bring charges against us. No one can condemn us before God. Satan himself stood at the right hand of Joshua the high priest in the book of Zechariah to resist him. And the Lord said, I rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you, rebuke you, Satan. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Satan stood there. Joshua the high priest in the book of Zechariah was wearing filthy garments representative of his sin and the sin of the nation. And Satan is standing at the right hand of Joshua the high priest to show God how pathetic and how sinful and how awful his people really are. And God said, I rebuke you. You don't have the authority to bring these charges, Satan. And he gave Joshua a change of raiment. Old Testament Zechariah, you have the gospel right there. The cleansing of the people from their sin as God rebuked Satan who was trying to bring the charges. Realizing our own sinfulness should drive us to the grace of Christ. It should teach us true humility, understanding just how broken we are and just how redeemed and how healed we are through the gospel. Should show us who God is, who Christ is, realizing the gospel, realizing our sinfulness and what Jesus did for us should give us that humility of knowing just how blessed we really are. And having been blessed in this way, our drive should not be the condemnation of others, but our drive rather should be to lead others to this grace and this redemption. Evangelism, as Brother Wayman has pointed out to us so many times, is, what is it, a, 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 a beggar telling another beggar where to find the free bread? That's where we should be telling people where we found the free bread of life. There are so many stories about this in the scriptures. These Pharisees, they learn a lesson. I don't know that they learn it well enough, but they learn a lesson. And the lesson is that they're sinners. And they are therefore not qualified to bring these charges. 
We should learn the lesson from these Pharisees. We should repent of our self-righteousness. And we should drop our stones. All that we could learn these lessons. We have the lessons learned by the Pharisees. We have the lesson learned by the woman. All testimony and reaction points to her unquestioned guilt. The Apostle John does not make mention of the idea that she was falsely accused. He does tell us that this is a setup, but he does not excuse her guilt. He does not say, we don't think she did it. We don't say that the charges are trumped up. Her guilt is not in question here. She has committed adultery. The inspired scriptures, the inspired word of God confirms her guilt here. We don't know why she committed adultery. We don't know what her story is. We don't know how she got wrapped up in this situation, how she got pulled into this. We don't know if she is a poor woman, if she is a wife of one of the Pharisees. We don't know if she was a harlot. We don't know what her situation is. I am going to tell you, though, so that we can learn to have compassion that no little girl dreams of growing up to be an adulteress. No little girl dreams of growing up to be a prostitute. No little girl dreams of growing up to be sexually immoral. But yet here she is, committed adultery. She is guilty. This fact has been established. The simple fact is that this woman was taken in sin. And in verses 4 and 5, these Pharisees are lobbing the charges at her. They said unto Jesus, in verse 4, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now I want you to put yourself in this woman's position. She's in this crowd of men, angry men, passionate men, and they're talking about stoning her to death. Like she's right here. Like how would you like to stand in a group of people who are debating whether or not they were going to kill you? That's not a good place to be. And what this woman is learning is she's learning the consequence of sin. Sin has deadly consequences. Sin will lead to destruction in this life. Sin will lead to death in this life. Sin will lead you to eternal death, to condemnation, to hell, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, you know what else she's about to learn today? She's about to learn about forgiveness. She's about to learn about redemption. She is about to learn about the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. In verses 10 and 11, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. No one was qualified to condemn her. And the one who was qualified to condemn her did not condemn her. But rather, he gave her forgiveness. He forgave her sin. And what we learn from the woman is we learn that, yes, sin has deadly consequences. We do not go soft on sin. We do not excuse sin. We do not comfort people in their sins. And we do not encourage people to continue in their sins. Yet, there's dead, and, and, this, and that's why the consequences of sin are so severe. We preach repentance. We want people to turn from their sin because we know the pain, many of us firsthand, know the pain that that sin is going to bring on and we want to steer people away from that. We want to see people redeemed. We want to see people saved. Sin is real and we know this. But the lesson 
the woman learns is that there is forgiveness in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He forgives because he paid for the sin on the cross. He paid our debt. He forgives because he loves. And we should learn to live in his forgiveness and to trust in his forgiveness. And finally, we have an exhortation for us all. Jesus directs this comment to the woman, but it applies to us too. When he said, neither do I condemn you, go, and from now on, sin no more. Go, and sin no more. Sin no more. End your rebellion against God. Turn from your rebellion against God. Stop it. Y'all remember there was an episode of, um, never mind, I can't even remember the name of the show. Newhart, or, Bob, or the Bob Newhart show, when he was a psychiatrist. He had this lady in his office. She'd say, well, I feel this way. And he'd go, well, stop it. Well, I'll do this, and it makes me feel sad. Well, stop it. Well, stop it. Your rebellion against God is making your life harder than it needs to be. Stop it. Repent and believe. And that's the essence of faith. The essence of faith is to see your sin for what it is and be turned from it and be turned toward the Lord. Has the gospel changed your life? Are you a different person now than you were before you knew the Lord as your Savior? The exhortation to us all is to throw down our arms and to discontinue our rebellion against God and to trust the Lord. And you say, Brother Leland, I don't think I'm in rebellion against God. And I'm going to tell you that human nature in the flesh, there is sin in there. We all have sin and we all have some part of us that rebels against God in some way. And you may not be aware of what that is right now. You may not. Pray the Lord would reveal it to you. And when you come to realize your rebellion against God, your rebellious heart and your rebellious thoughts against God, turn away from them. Repent from them. Don't justify them. Go and sin no more. This lady here in John chapter 8, the Pharisees, Jesus, the disciples, we learn some things. We learn to realize our own sin, and we learn to turn from that sin, to see it and to repent from it, and to trust the Lord to forgive us, to condemn no one, and we learn to reject the sin of pride and self-righteousness. Again, we learn to trust in the Lord's forgiveness. We learn to believe. Let's stand.